What kind of school do you lead? What type of experience do you create for your students? What does a child begin to think about herself after attending your school? The environment is a powerful thing. If your school is dirty, run down, an overall disaster, a kid will internalize a negative view of herself and that of education. Today's guest, Lori Villanueva, accepted a position at a school that was so run down that you didn't even know it was a school when you drove past it. But all that changed under her leadership. We'll start with her story of beautifying the campus at the top of this episode. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com forward slash BLBS. In the mastermind, we believe that questions are better than answers and that there's power in connecting with other elite performers. Kevin, a principal in Tunisia, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I feel more connected to the everyday changes in education. In addition to being more informed, I feel empowered to bring new educational ideas and strategies to my team at my school. We'd love to serve you in the mastermind and welcome your application. Enroll today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Lori Villanueva has been in education for 25 years, starting as a high school biology, music, and avid teacher, and now serves as superintendent in a rural district of 4,500 in sunny Central California. She keeps kids at the center of her decisions and loves working with educators to provide kids what they need to grow and thrive. And welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you. Good morning, Danny. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited uh, to have this conversation with you. And uh, shout out to Mitch who connected us. And let's just jump in. You know, something that I uh, remember from our first conversation is that you, you found yourself leading within what you called a good old boy network, right? And your school had seen better days. It was run down. But since you, Lori, are a ruckus maker, you knew that you had to beautify that school. And you succeeded. You succeeded in that project, uh, but there were a lot of obstacles. Can you tell us that story? Absolutely. So I had just been hired on to a high school up in the Bay Area. And when I drove up to it, I had actually the first time driven past it because there was no signage. And so I I did a U-turn, I drove up, and the first thing I saw was this school looks like a prison. It looks, it's it's gray. It's got plexiglass windows that are scratched over and you can't see through. It just looks like it's had better days and nobody's taken care of it for years. And so the very first thing I thought when I drove up is I need to make this a place that kids and staff want to come to. 
And so that was my very, very first work at that school was to get those plexiglass windows knocked out, um, to get some paint on the front of the school, to get a sign that you could actually see where his school was. And oh, from there, we did a lot of work because we didn't have trees even. There was no shade for the students to sit. And so uh, we worked on getting some trees donated because I ran into a lot of trouble with the district. District did not want to invest any money in beautifying the school. And even though other schools I felt looked very nice and well-kept, you know, I kind of took this one personally to heart. So I got a lot of trees donated. And I know that the, the district wasn't super happy that I was going to start planting trees. So I was really kind of, to use your term, a ruckus maker in that I got them donated. And then I had a big plant tree day and I invited the, the mayor and, you know, <laughs> the local senator, like any big wig that I could. Right. to come help plant a tree and made a really big deal out of it. So that was one of the first ruckus making, you know, steps I took at that school. Yeah. What, what does it look like when you get trees donated? Uh, how did you approach people to, to participate? That one was definitely reaching out and trying to have a network. I started asking around to um, just different groups in town and, you know, they're just like, well, well, my friend has a nursery. I think I can get 25 trees from there. And, you know, oh, my, my friend works for Caltrans and sometimes they have extra trees. So it was just a lot of networking and letting people know what I was trying to do, even though it was all kind of under the radar. I couldn't really put it in the paper that I was looking for trees. Um, and eventually, you know, they, they just started pouring in because I invited people. They helped us plant them, made a big deal, gave people lots of credit for it. And before I left that school, we planted over 125 trees. And it got the students and the staff excited because then the ASB said, wow, we've got trees now. So how about if we buy some picnic tables so we can sit under the trees and have lunch? So it kind of started this little forward motion at the school that we should invest in how our school looks and feels because mm -hmm. that's the place we spend an awful lot of time with each other. And the, the windows eventually got replaced, uh, but that, that took uh, persistence and, and uh, resilience for sure. How did you end up getting those replaced? That one took me a bit of knocking on doors. So I've discovered quickly that just putting a work order in wasn't going to work. And so I went to the superintendent that had hired me and I said, look, I need an early win. Like I need the kids to mm. see that I'm going to make a difference at this school. And quite literally, if we can start seeing through the windows at the front of the school, it's going to give me that win. And the superintendent literally had to step in and tell the maintenance department to do it. But of course, that made the maintenance department super happy with me. But, mm -hmm. you know, I was really pleased that the superintendent, you know, did back me on that because it did make a world of difference. Yeah. And that's, that's good. You know, uh, as people think about uh, returning to school, whether that's face-to-face -face or digital, you know, looking for early wins is important, right? And to have support. But the other, the reason I'm asking you these questions too, is just to to inspire the ruckus maker listening to never give up. You know, you might hear no, but there are many different ways to get to the solution. So whether that's just continuing to ask, uh, asking for support, uh, getting people to donate trees, there's many different ways that you can solve a challenge uh, that, that you're facing. And uh, you got a mural in the school as well. That, you yes. know, that, and that's... Uh, <laughs> Was it always there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and then that was what some people thought, but how'd you get that mural done? 
Well, that is a funny story. So we started planting trees. We got windows fixed. We started, you know, making sure the trash was picked up and everything else and looked around and we're like, these walls are dingy and now we need something to brighten them up. And so I said it in my mind that I needed a mural and I collected some donation money. Same thing, just kind of networking and letting people know what I want to do and went to the district with a plan and said, I want to put a mural up above the gym at the front of the school so everybody can see it. And they said, absolutely not. We don't, we don't do murals. And I, of course, pointed out that some other schools had murals, but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there, uh, according to them. So I found this one lady that she wanted to do the mural. And she said, if you'll just pay for my paint, you know, I will, I'll put it up. So I was like, okay, great. Here's, here's a donation check. And buy your paint and start putting it up. And so she came every day after school because she had a day job. And little by little, this mural started appearing up on top of the gym and it finished. I didn't have a lot of fanfare. You know, it was kind of like our little inside secret at the school. And it's funny because you mentioned, you know, someone, me mentioning to someone it was always there is the superintendent, new different superintendent comes by one day and looks up and says, I don't remember that mural. And I'm like, you don't, it's always been there. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's been there a long time. And he's like, oh, okay. I guess I just never really looked around your school. So, and then I was kind of like, whew, because (laughs) I, you know, I snuck that mural up there, but I felt it was really important to do that. The the kids, like I say, and the staff need a place that's, that's beautiful and welcoming and, and not ugly and dreary. So I felt it was so important to do that. And I, I commented on that, you know, my own take a little bit in my my book, uh, The Better Leaders, Better Schools Roadmap, that, you know, schools should be a warm, welcoming, inspiring environment. And we're working with the world's greatest resource, our children. And we house them at times in these schools, like you said, that are run down and dingy and the the absolute opposite of what an energetic and inspiring place would look like. So, you know, from one ruckus maker to another, thank you for uh, leading in that way and uh, taking some risks and, and making the school a better place. Another another way you made change happen in this area was uh, doing some interesting things for your ELL students. And if you could talk about that and what you were most proud of, I'd love to hear that story. Absolutely. So when I was there for a little over a year, we discovered that we were having a lot of students coming in who were undocumented minors. And if you're not familiar with that term, it has to do with kids that have come across the border without a parent. And what happens is they go into these juvenile detention centers, and then the detention centers work very hard to find any kind of relative that's willing to take them. And then they give them papers, give them to the relative, and then the relative's supposed to bring them to school. And at first we were missing that they were unaccompanied minors because they did come with papers. And we're not worried if you're a citizen or anything like that in schools, but they came with immunizations, which is sometimes a hint that, you know, a kid has traveled or, you know, copies of their birth certificate. So we've kind of found out through our health center that we had on campus that we had this group of kids that were separated from their families and they were in these really difficult situations in a new placement And what made that harder is unaccompanied minors, once they're placed with a family, have six months to be enrolled in school, be successful in school. And the family that took them in has to show up in court with documents showing that they're passing their classes and attending school regularly. 
And a lot of families that were taken in, these students had no idea how to access the legal system, uh, what showing up to court meant, how to support a child who's been either sent away from their family or wrested away from their family and put into this whole new situation. And they just, these families were not prepared for it. So when in working cooperation with our health center on campus, I went to the district and I said, hey, I've got this group of kids. I have like between 40 and 60 and they need very specialized services because these kids are coming in traumatized. They're coming in from literally sometimes war-torn towns where they'd been living and they need special help. I just want to make you aware. Can I talk to the, the, you know, the leadership team about it because they probably have some of these kids in their schools? And the same superintendent that hadn't realized there was a new, <laughs> a new painting up on our wall said, no, no, that's forget it. That's, we have other things to do. And so I kind of hit a brick wall everywhere. I was trying to let everybody know that we have this group of kids that's so in need. And, you know, just like I said, kept hitting brick walls. And so I'm talking to the health center and they said, well, we found a lawyer who's willing to come in and give free legal services on Friday night. And we're going to continue to do, you know, free health services and all these different pieces. But can we use your library to, you know, have these, these meetings? I'm like, absolutely, you can use my library. So Friday night turned into going from about three o'clock after school all the way to sometimes 10 o'clock at night because we just had families lined up that needed the support. And then as we started to hear the needs of the families, turns out they needed some social work. So then we found some social workers that were willing to come in after work. So my school became a hub for about four to five hours every Friday night of food bank service and social work service and legal services for these families. And I think it really became known in the community that our school was a safe place to come and get some help. And we actually started having families that weren't unaccompanied, but still wanted the help. And it was kind of like a, a big secret in the community for a while until one day someone called the district and said, oh, how do I get those free legal services? <laughs> and then I got a visit from the superintendent and he's just, he, he was upset and he just said, you know, how come I wasn't a part of making this thing happen? And I was just like, well, I went to you. And he said, well, you, you should have told me. And so, you know, I, I kind of took some heat for doing the right things for my kids. And, and I stood up to it and I said, I, I came to you and I tried and this isn't costing us any money. And it's buying so much help and support for our families. But it, it made it give me a little bit of a rough time with my superintendent for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I'm curious whether it's this uh, the health clinic that then was um, helping out with the, the legal aspects, uh, you know, what I love with that or just the trees and murals, the, the windows, you're being a resource. You're giving kids the, uh, yeah, what they needed, right? You were seeing them, hearing them and not taking no as an answer. And like you said, you, you took a little heat from that, but, you know, how are you able to navigate those challenging waters or, or look at those situations and still end up, you know, doing the right thing, knowing that it, it might cost you? How do you think about that? That's a great question. And I think about it all the time. And, and I went into this profession to help kids. I didn't come into this profession to help, you know, the, the superintendent look good. I didn't come into this profession, you know, for the glamour or the money. I came for kids. 
And so when I feel that kids need something and I feel that it's the proper and right thing to do, I will move forward with taking action. And I can sleep really well at night knowing that maybe this person was upset that I did it, but it was the right thing for kids. And I'm a superintendent now, so I've kind of adjusted how I look at that a little bit to be more like when my principals are talking to me and they're asking me for something, am I hearing what they really need? And am I making sure that they don't have to be a, a really big ruckus you know, maker to get what they need, right? So I, I had these experiences where I took things head on. Um, and it's just kind of been a reminder to me now that when someone's asking for help for something, like we need to listen and we need to make sure that it's serving kids. I want to pull on that thread a little bit more, um, but we're going to pause here just for a moment uh, and get a message from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk more about yeah that listening and, and uh, with principals because the principals listening, I think, can apply those techniques to their staff. So we'll be right back. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by teachers using TeachFX to increase student engagement online and in the classroom during an ongoing pandemic. Hi, we're the third grade team from General Stanford Elementary, and we're here to tell you about our experience with TeachFX. It has been a really eye-opening experience for us this year. We know that students who are highly engaged in the classroom achieve a higher level of success. So we use TeachFX to help us monitor and collect data. TeachFX has really helped us reach our professional goals to pinpoint students that maybe aren't used talking as much, as well as seeing our balance of wait time, group talk time, student talk time, and then teacher talk time across the grade level and kind of discuss with each other, you know, what's working in your classroom versus what might be working in mine. To learn more about using TeachFX to support your teachers with feedback during COVID, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Lori Villanueva. And we were talking about how now the roles have changed. She's a superintendent and she wants to make sure that she's listening to her principals and to hear truly what they need. And I think, I think the ruckus maker that's listening, thinking about her staff, right? Her teachers. How are you present? How are you aware? that you are hearing what they they need. Because sometimes people don't even ask, right, for what, right. <laughs> what they need. And so you kind of have to uncover it. So I'm, I'm just curious what that looks like for you. For me, it starts with building the relationship with the principals so that they're, they're willing to talk with you and bounce ideas off of you. Because as a principal, I, I did do things and figure I will not ask permission. I'll say sorry later. Um, because again, I felt it was what kids needed and I didn't want to deal with the rigmarole down at the district office. So I've tried to, with my principals, build that relationship up and just say, if you have an idea, talk to me. Like 99% of the time, I'm going to support it. But I want to be able to support those things. And I think that was part of the message is that district where I was was really being a, a ruckus maker, 
nobody said to me, we want to hear what you think about making your school better, Lori. We want to hear what steps can we take to make it easier for you to get kids engaged. And so I try to ask my principals those questions. I try to meet with them as a group so that we can share ideas with each other. And sometimes we have big meetings like all of cabinet. So all the district people and all the principals. But sometimes I set myself aside just for the principals, just to talk to them about what they need at their school. And the principal meeting, it's interesting, has a a much different dynamic because we really are talking about what do you need at your site. And you're talking directly to the big boss that can help you maybe overcome barriers that you're having somewhere else. And I'm lucky that I'm in a district that I can sit in a room with all my principals. I understand there's some bigger districts out there. But I think just telling them that, that I'm open to hearing what it is they need because I want them to have it. And I think that's what sets the stage for those conversations that really need to be had because the principals are the ones that know what the kids need at the site. Mm-hmm. Putting the message out there is one thing because uh, the silence um, in your experience as a principal was you know, deafening. So putting that message out there is important, but then that you follow up with actual actions where, where you might meet as a whole group or like you said, one-on-one and just the gift of that time, you know, uh, and I'm sure taking notes and then taking action on their requests, those are just major deposits into those relationships and trust building exercises every time you follow through. So pretty cool. And and you're now in a a rural area, the district that you're leading. And I often uh, have leaders write in just talking about the the challenges that rural districts uh, face specifically. And I don't always have guests that can speak to that. So I'd I'd love to hear uh, anything that you're doing that you think is memorable in terms of uh, recruiting and retaining talent within your your district in a rural area. Yeah. You know, that is probably one of the biggest obstacles I hit when I got here, because when I was working in the Monterey area and then up in the San Francisco Bay area, there's a plethora of people that want to live in those areas. So it was really easy to attract teachers. And we are very isolated out here. And, you know, we might get people to put their applications in, but then when it comes to the interview, we found that people looked up, you know, how to get there and kind of canceled the interview after they saw where we are. So we're trying to, on the front end, talk about in our recruitment where we are and the power that we can have in our kind of area. So straight out, anytime we're talking about people, we're like, have you worked in a rural area? Are you interested in working in a rural area? And here's what's affordable about it. So we started talking about what's great about being in a rural area. First thing is the housing is affordable. You can actually buy a house. You can't buy a house in the Bay Area. So we tell people a little bit about housing. We tell people that really it's only about, you know, a little over an hour drive if you want to get to the beach. That, you know, kind of really selling the rural life to people. And we also found that it's harder to have new teachers fresh out of college come. So we pay pretty well because we're in a rural area and we know we have to attract people. But we found that young teachers come here, but there's no nightlife for them. There's nowhere for them to to find a, a wife or a husband. And so we tend to lose our first year teachers because they just doesn't have the excitement that a big city might have. So we've started to see that, you know, teachers that are that are married that can bring their families and, you know, people that do want to buy a house and we can sell the affordability, but we've had to sell the community and the area as part of the recruitment. And never had to do that when I was working in different areas. 
there's a blog post that's releasing tomorrow. By the time this um, podcast is live, it'll it'll be out. Uh, it's at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash attracting great teachers. Uh, but the idea, and I'd, I'd like to share it with you, but also with the ruckus maker listening, the riff is on attracting top talent and using a tool that I came across in a book called Business Model Generation, but it's called an empathy map. So you identify who you are empathizing with. And, and in this case, uh, it's a teacher that you're trying to attract to your district. And just thinking about, you know, what do they hear? What do they see? What do they say? What do they do? What are some of their challenges? What are some of the uh, things that they see as successes or wins in their life? And the point of that blog post is if you do the work of thinking about those people you're trying to bring in, your messaging can connect with what will resonate right in their hearts and in their minds. And so, like you said, I think the the house part is great, right? If you want to have a family, beautiful climate, weather, just an hour from the beach, putting that signal out there is really important and could help you out quite a bit. So I just wanted to share that with you. And then the listener, you could check it out again, betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash attracting great teachers. Well, Lori, you've been working with Organized Binder for a while, since 2008, if I wrote that down correctly. Right, right. And I've been really fortunate. Uh, Organized Binder has been a sponsor of the show forever. And again, Mitch is the one who connected us. So thank you, Mitch, for that. But tell us, uh, you know, just your experience. What's it like using Organized Binder? What's been some of the benefits and value that you've seen? Sure. So two pieces. One... Organized binder for kids is absolutely 100% needed because I do believe one thing that we don't teach in schools is good organization. And if we can teach that organization, then we can teach them everything else they need to know. And I think it's kind of like an expectation, right? People think that kids come in, they already know how to be organized, right? Or, well, I, I showed them how to do this, or I told them I want them to have a binder, But the actual explicit instruction of how do you keep a binder, how do you keep up on your assignments, you know, how do you become responsible for your work in the classroom is absolutely A plus. And I've had it in every school that I've ever been a leader in. So um, I take it with me as I go from place to place. And I think it's one of the most powerful interventions that you can give school-wide to every single child. Um, But I also have another way that I use it. So I think People might not realize that there is a teacher component to this whole organized binder. And there is, you know, teachers are expected to keep their own binder. And in keeping their binder, you know, don't tell teachers this, but it forces them to be organized. It forces them to be organized in the same way that we're teaching kids to be organized. And, you know, I started having teachers bring those binders with them to our evaluation meetings because their whole body of work is contained within these binders. So every standard that they've covered, every assignment that they've given, every project that's out there, vocabulary, like all the pieces of the binder, organized binder lead to not only good learning, but good teaching. And I found some teachers changing their practice because they realized that there was this disparity between what they were saying to the child and what the child was interpreting that the teacher wanted. And the nice thing about organized binder is when the teacher's work matches the student's work, all the expectations are the same. People can move forward together. 
And I think that I'm going to name my book one of these days, The Expectation Gap, right? And there's teachers have expectations that kids already have certain skills and kids come to school not having them. And then they start out in a struggle because they're, they're not meeting the teacher's expectations on day one. So what I love about Organized Binder is you explicitly know every single day I walk in, I open my binder, I do my opener, I write this down, and it builds a system, not only for the kids, but for the teacher. And so having systems in the classroom, I mean, that's what makes or breaks a new teacher, is having systems. Organized Binder can help train a teacher into being organized and working at their maximum with students. So I love it for both angles. That's wonderful. And out of the box, it just works. So uh, you can find out more, obviously, at organizedbinder.com. Lori, if you had a school marquee and it was able to display a message all around the world for just a day, all school marquees, what would that message be? My message would be, we rise by lifting others. I think, yeah, it's we have to be reminded about that. We're not here to take other people down. We're here to raise everybody to their fullest potential. And everybody in the community needs to know that that's what we're doing at our schools. If you were building a school from the ground up and you weren't limited by any resources, your only limitation was your imagination, how would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Wow. I would build my dream school in kind of wherever. It doesn't matter what location it would be. But my dream school would be a place that was very open and bright and appealing just from the outside. Like you would just drive by and be like, wow, I wonder what's going on in there. So I'd want it to be, you know, a modern open design. But my, my, my top three priorities, I would start with looking for teachers that want to be there. Looking for teachers that, you know, maybe on a bigger basis than I can now, and maybe having a very robust, you know, an application is not just an application. It's a, it's a video discussion or something saying, this is why I want to teach at your school where we have these great expectations for kids. And not just because someone's got a credential and it's in the area that, you know, you have an opening for. So one, teacher quality. I want the best of the best and how do I get them there? And with that, if I have a recruitment bonus or if I can move people to the area, I would want to uh, be able to do that. I think the curriculum is key. Kids don't come to school just so they can learn rote mathematics or so they can write essays. They come because they've, they're engaged in a topic with an adult that loves what they do. And I want every single teacher in my school to be that kind of teacher. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I would sit in, in an IEP, for example, and I would be surprised because they would say, well, they only go to your class, but they don't go to all these other classes. How come they don't go to those other classes? And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, why, why don't you go? And when you ask the kid, it's like, well, because they're boring, right? Or they're this, or they're mean, or they don't understand, right? I need teachers that don't make kids feel that way. So that's, that's a key. And I think opportunity. I don't think that education is just about sitting in the classroom anymore. You need to be able to get out and see what, what do you want to do when you get out of school? How are you going to change the world? What careers are you interested in? And I think that goes beyond a CTE class. It really becomes, what are, what are your hopes and dreams? And how do we help you get there? Because right now in education, we give you this base education and we say, okay, this should give you a foundation for any direction that you want to go. 
But I think, you know, younger and younger these days, kids have access to technology and they have these dreams about things going on in the world because they can see them in their hands, right? They can look at their phone and see all these different things. So how do we get kids out to internships? How do we get kids into the community? How do we get them with mentors that can guide their careers? And it's it seems like a lot of work, but if I had unlimited money and a beautiful facility and teachers that were dying to work in my school, those kinds of things could be achieved. And that's where I really see education going in the future. Lloyd, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want a ruckus maker to remember that if you're doing the right thing for kids, any heat that you might experience, any uncomfort, anything like that will blow over because it's the right thing for kids. And I think that sometimes you have to just be strong and not be afraid to do what you think is right for kids because it comes down to why you went into education and it's for them. So if you find that thing that you feel like you need to work uphill on, then do it and do it without fear, you know, and put a smile on your face and sleep well at night. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.